Mic check, mic check. Welcome to On the Mic with Ray White, where we share life lessons, encourage self-reflection, and equip you to take action. My name is Ray White, and I am juiced that you're taking time to listen to this episode today. And we are now in part three of the conversation that I help lead with uh, our next generational leaders about how we are pushing diversity, equity, and inclusion into the next generation and ways in which that we can glean from the past to help forward the conversation into the future. This has been a phenomenal discussion uh, as a full part webinar within the Inclusion Allies Coalition community. And if you are interested in having these types of conversations and being in these parts of spaces where you get to glean and have phenomenal discussions about the DEI concepts, current events, and tactics and tools to help you become an advocate within your space. I'll drop a link in the show notes of how you can be a part of this community as well. And you can send me a DM too. We can talk a little bit about what does it look like for you to be a part of this space, whether you are a beginner in your DEI journey or you're highly advanced and moving the conversation forward and want to reach back and help the conversation and help the concepts be embedded into what we do within the people that we lead and the organizations that we oversee. And while we are having these discussions, this episode in part three talks about how there are still some people and still some communities that are overlooked. We have the tremendous opportunity to push the DE&I conversation forward, but that doesn't mean that we're perfect. So while we talk about what ways that we see DE&I in our particular industries and how does it look like within the remote space and in the post-pandemic era, we're still having a conversation and bringing to light who is overlooked? Who are we not centering in these discussions? And that's what a piece of this conversation is about today. To listen to the full entirety, I highly suggest that you listen to part one and two of this full webinar, and I'll link those in the show notes as well, and be a part of the community of IAC2 if you like these types of conversations and want to strengthen your leadership in becoming an inclusive, belonging leader. So let's dive into this episode titled, Who, Who is Still Overlooked? And I would love to hear your insights of who we need to continue to center within our lead. Yeah, it's your boy Ray Ray on the mic. Let's go. Um, here's a question that came from the chat, uh, which I think really fits into the kind of the world that we in, obviously with the Brady Bunch boxes that we currently see. Um, how do you think the tension associated between maintaining remote work and being asked to come back into the office are setting uh, in an office setting are imp are not impacting DEI. So how do you see that tension of remote work and coming back into the office setting? Um, are they impacting DEI? Are they not impacting DEI? Have those conversations happened in your spaces? Thoughts? I think yes. Um, I work in a very unique situation where our corporate teams are remote and we have field team members that are on site. So it's always that battle of are we inclusive of both the remote workers and the field workers? Um, it's definitely a challenge um, and we've been finding ways to make it more inclusive. Um, something that we've recently introduced is with our Heritage Month celebrations, we're located in about six cities, seven cities, two continents. Uh, so with our Heritage Month celebrations, we'll pick a a region to host it in and do a huge hybrid event. So that way each region feels included in what we're doing 
and in the work. So that way they also get FaceTime with our corporate leadership team members. And I apologize if there's background noise. My cat is running amok in my apartment right now. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I would just say that so Chantel kind of said a lot of what so in construction we have people who never left the field you cannot build things without being in person so even saying come back to work is offensive to them because they never left work maybe they got laid off for a couple weeks when we were like at the beginning of COVID trying to figure it out Um, we were doing a training yesterday and this came up a lot it was a manufacturing organization that has you know now the front offices are empty so, but then the manufacturing team is being written up if they're six minutes late for work because shift starts at eight o'clock. Um, so where is the equity there? You know, so we want to be, I want flexible workplace. I very much enjoy having a hybrid um, work structure, but how are we doing that equitably for everyone? So it's definitely um, affecting how people feel and how they, I think, you know, there's always kind of a, or maybe not always, but in our case, there is like an us versus them kind of divide. So we don't want to strengthen that. So how do we be more equitable to allow people to have flexibility, but also make people feel that things are fair? I think it's, it's an interesting thing too, where I think remote work has um, sort of expanded maybe the possibilities or um, just opportunities for people who otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to work full-time in person, um, especially like young parents, um, people with disabilities. Um, And so I've definitely seen a lot of tension with people being like, oh, you want me to go back in person? Like it's, I actually work so much better being able to go, being able to be at my house or being able to just work from different places um, actually makes me more productive. Um, And then also trying to sort of balance that with, um, I think remote work also at the same time doesn't necessarily offer the same sort of level of um, intimacy for lack of a better word. that we would have that sometimes is critical to DEI work when it comes to having more sensitive conversations um, and things like that. Um, Even training, sometimes people feel more comfortable being in a room than they might being on camera where they're able to see themselves and everything that they're doing. Um, So I think it's it's kind of a toss up there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with that. Um, You see, I've been reading a lot that with flexibility, the groups who want it the most are typically underrepresented groups because they don't have to deal with like a lot of the microaggressions that they would typically experience at work and it eases the burden of childcare. But also at the same time, if they're not in the office, they can be missing out on opportunities to help them advance their career. But I would say that companies should ease on, like lean on the side of flexibility where they can and be very intentional about making opportunities for people who do better when they're remote working to get that one-on-one time with their managers or higher ups. Um, My company is fully remote and I can go to the senior manager at my team at any time and say, hey, 
can we have a meeting? I want to talk to you about a certain topic and I'm able to do that. And so I think that it, it just require it requires more work, but I, I think if we want a more equitable, equitable workplace, then people need to be willing to put that work in. That's good. And, and, you know, by nature of our industry, right, we are deconstructing, we are dismantling, we are taking a real critical lens at what has been created that is created this space of divide and inequity that we've seen. And so um, this is a prime example where a disruptor of the pandemic created this space where we had to really look at what does productivity look like? What does safety look like? What does healthy look like? Um, and, and how do we uh, either ab- adopt it within the pre-existing structures, like we stated, or what does it look like to change it completely because we're recognizing the that our staff members are feeling this level of anxiety, stress, or and even um, burnout and quitting, quiet quitting, loudly quitting, whatever, right? Uh, creating the space where that can happen. And plus from the employee side, being able to, like was stated, like having young families, right? Having young kids and um, being able to travel, right? I'm sure you could probably pull up that laptop in France or in that beach that you were sitting at and get to work if you wanted to, right? That, that sounds cool. I would love to do that soon. Um, uh, a couple more, we'll have a few more minutes here. Uh, again, I w- then there'll be an opportunity where we'll do some Q&A. But I think one thing I would love to have uh, all of us to share is essentially is, do you see anything in this space that is not being talked about that we should talk about? Or we should talk more about? Like, you know, I think, Michaela, you mentioned climate change is one of the factors. Uh, not to put you on the spot to see if you want to keep talking about that. But if there are other entities out there that's like, you know, we're, we're really not talking about this within our space. I think for for my thoughts on this are more so around accessibility and universal design, especially coming from the hospitality space. Um, A lot of spaces, while ADA compliant, aren't truly inclusive of, of folks that may have a disability, whether that's sensory, whether that is a physical ailment or anything like that. it can be something as simple as having a push button to open doors or closed captioning or ASL, BSL um, interpreters, things like that. Um, I think that's not talked about enough and it's something that's often overlooked. For me, um, socioeconomic diversity is something that's starting to be talked about a little more, but I think has been ignored for a while. Um, I think that topic is so important, especially now because of how dramatically the cost of living has risen within the past few years and the amount of student loan debt that a lot of people are entering the workplace with. And um, your socioeconomic status has a lot of impact on the way that you're able to navigate the workplace. Um, For example, my sister, she's going into the insurance industry next year. She's a senior in college now. And last summer, she was interning with who is now going to be her manager. And he mentioned to her that he wanted her to learn how to golf because a lot of business happens on the golf course. And so she was super excited about it. And then she like looked up how much lessons cost. And it was ridiculously expensive. And it's just not something that is going to be feasible for her on her own or her family or our family. And so now we're in a position that my sister might be left out of important business conversations because she never was able to afford to learn how to golf. And so 
I think that like when we're talking about DEI and culture change, like these are the types of things that organizations need to be ready to have serious conversations about. Because if we are bringing in more underrepresented people into the workplace, we, you know, they don't share the same experiences growing up. They don't share the same backgrounds. And if we do really want to level the playing field that, I mean, it's going it's going to cause a lot more culture change that maybe people are expecting on the surface level. I think what um, both Maddie and Chantal were getting at here is also like, I think sometimes there are certain things that people think are just kind of, they're not necessarily like front of mind for people. Um, And I don't want to say that anything's necessarily like easier to get away with doing, but like, there are some things that I feel like because we haven't had real difficult conversations about, they often get overlooked. And so then you end up creating these workplace workplace cultures where everyone's talking about the prep school that they went to. Um, and it's, it's not just in like the big overarching programming that people put on or, um, you know, even sort of policy changes, but also are you cultivating an environment where I sit down at a table with everybody and I almost feel invisible because I don't have the same upbringing as you at all. Um, And sort of going off of what Chantal was saying earlier um, about accessibility, I feel like that's also um, another lens um, that hasn't really been delved into enough. especially because I think sometimes there are certain attitudes around people with disabilities that it's like, oh, well, you know, you don't, this isn't a thing that you, that people understand that people will need. And so if people see it sort of as um, a nice to have the same with DEI, they're not going to see it as a necessity when they don't understand that it may not be a life or death situation, but it may be a necessity for that person to be able to thrive in that workplace. You all shared a lot of uh, good things that I would have mentioned. I think the only other thing that my I have a very strong perspective on is uh, paternity leave, maternity, parental support and rights. You know, Maddie mentioned about um, socioeconomic status and the support, you know, companies do the bare minimum and you're expected to be grateful for that. I saw a woman come back and talk about how grateful she is that she had three months off and I was like you are not don't be grateful like that is personally that is how I feel so I think if our we want to continue to see more balance less turnover those are definitely some benefits and things that other countries have shown are good for society yeah there's there has to be a level of and again that back to that critiquing perspective and us having the ability to uh, come to the table and critique these messages, metrics, uh, perspectives, what have you, that are creating these barriers um, and be okay with opening the door to say, okay, like other countries are doing a little bit better. What can we do better here, right? How do we make that change as well um, for the sake of our employees to thrive, for the sake of ourselves to thrive? Um, you know, we're, we're going to close, we're, we're slowly landing the plane here. And I wanted to encourage you all to talk, to say, 
uh, to stick around uh, to after we get to the wrap up of all this, because we do have an after show as well. So there'll be a more opportunity for those who are able to stay uh, to get your questions answered by these phenomenal panelists to talk through uh, uh, what you see, what you think, and just make that engagement as well. So that will happen uh, when we get to the top of the hour. But um, one of the, the last question I want to share with our panelists here, and thank you all for sharing um, uh, and giving your insight on this, is essentially the future right if we are the future there's going to be a future after us too right uh so what do you think or what do you see the future of dei uh looking like like what does that look like for you what do you think what do you think dei will look like uh, down the road in the next generation it's unfathomable fathom fathomable language words um it's hard to imagine that you know like i it's hard to give to give a good answer i think um, just being a little transparent, the current political climate and state of the country makes it, I don't want to say like depressing, but it seems like there's been a lot of backtracking. So I hope that our generation will get to a point where we're like enough and we make some serious change, um, in our companies and in, in the country. So, um, it's tough to say I was on a call a while back and I wish that I could remember who it was to give them credit. Um, but they had said that in their future state, the CHRO would report to the CDO and that diversity would be the forefront of the human resources uh, or maybe even more of the organizations that we would, uh, you know, we talk a lot about behavioral changes that we need to make, unconscious bias, et cetera. But are we changing the system? that we have in place? Are we writing our policies? Are we looking at our benefits to see that they support people with different needs, different things like that? I think one of the things that always drives me in DEI work um, is that we're seeing a trend with each generation. And that's not to say that, you know, change just happens because, you know, we're existing here or something, but generations are getting more and more diverse as we go, um, in not just in terms of race and ethnicity, um, but we're also seeing a trend um, also in, you know, I would assume with the accessibility um, that social media offers, um, more people are identifying um, as part of the LGBTQ community. Um, and so I would, I would hope that because of that, we would have a larger incentive and understand that this is an investment for the future um, because this is going to affect more people overall um, as we move forward. I hope to see um, an expansion around what we consider diversity to be, um, like how we talked about uh, parental, socioeconomic status, universal design, but I do share Abby's sentiments about the way things are going with the political discourse in this country. I'm, I wish I could say that I was more hopeful about the way things are going, but um, with like the legislative backlash to DEI and ESG, I, everything just feels really up in the air right now. I would echo the same sentiments as Abby and Madison. Um, adding with that, I would hope to see that organizations move forward with leading with equity first and not drilling down as far as like the, the diversity representation. I feel like a lot of companies get stuck in that. We have to diversify our, our workforce. We have to have representation in XYZ. And I think if you have that equity piece, the other two will come. I hope there are no CDOs in the future. 
I hope there will be no chief diversity officer. I think one of the opportunities that what we are hoping to usher in, and I think we're bringing that a little bit with our generation identity, is that it's, it, we we bring it. <laughs> it's part of who we are. Like we already step into the space with this perspective, and whatever position we take, CEO, chief marketing, CHRO, whatever, it's all like you kind of what you said, Chantel. We're leading with equity already. So while yes, we can have forums, we can have communities and groups that we can talk about these concepts, but like the position itself is embedded with who we are and what we do. Um, and who knows, right? Like that, that, that tomorrow can change, right? And again, we talk about political landscapes, all the things, those things can change, but what would it look like? Again, doubling down on that, if we are already relating with equity, would, would we need a chief diversity officer? You know, I don't know, but we can always dream. We can always look to the clouds and hope for a better future. And plus be on boots on the ground and actually do the work necessary to make that happen for a brighter future. Um, I really want to thank you all for taking the time to share your expertise and hopping on and talking through this. 